Heavenly Father, we just thank you again. I just, just agree with Carrie's prayers earlier, and we just thank you for a chance to be able to be together. Lord, we, we know that, um, that the, the local church is your design, and we, we seek to be here faithfully, to, to um, love one another, certainly, to be equipped um, to take that love to the world, and really we do that because we know it, it's, a, it's a beautiful reflection of who you are, and we seek your glory above, above all things, and that is why we're here, that's why we exist. We thank you, we, we praise you, and Lord, I just pray that you would do this morning what only you can do, what I can't do, and that's that you would speak to hearts of each person that's in here, and, um, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. And I can't forget, too, to, I always forget... Hello, fell, or over, overflow room. So don't want to forget that you're out there. So if you're new here and you see the fact that I'm up there, and I'll switch this over to the next slide. I'm up there not because you need, you need to look at me up there, but that's because we do the overflow service in the chapel. So um, that's why that's there. And you'll notice there's a slight delay in the, <laughs> the picture anyway. So that'll, that'll confuse you. Uh, so anyhow, all right. Um, we are in a series, a preaching series. This is week four. We're calling the series One Anothering, and the reason we're calling the series One Anothering is because in the Bible, there are approximately 60 places where the writers of, of the Bible use the term one another as it relates to how, especially how believers in the church are called to relate with one another. And so um, we're looking at all of these one another's. Now, I'll give you a few of them in a moment. As we go through today, what I want you to know is because the purpose of the text is to, is to um, equip us to be one anothering, equip us to, to like Dr. Bob mentioned last week and preached on love one another. Um, the first week we talked about being devoted or committed to one another. The second week we talked about being being prayerful and praying for one another. Um, the purpose of each of those and the context of each of those texts is in relationship to how we, as, as the church, are to be with one another. I say that because it's not to the exclusion and not like that can't be applied to and should be applied to the, the world outside of these walls. We are called to be many of these things to, to our culture around us. Uh, today, our topic is welcome or accept one another. We're talking because the text talks about welcoming and accepting one another within inside the church world, but also this could definitely and does definitely apply to what we are to be as a, as a people outside of the church as well. So I just want to make that distinction because I don't want you to think that we're just all about us and here. God did design the church for the purpose of us loving one another and admonishing one another and praying for and being committed to one another, but why did he do that? He did that so that the church could be a sweet aroma to those that don't know what the church is about. And we know that he's called us to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations and proclaim the gospel of Christ. And so we can't do that out there. We can't really fulfill our ultimate mission as a church if, if we want to 
beat each other up in here. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the point. So anyway, one another's, one anothering. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Um, we're going to be in a number of specific places this morning. Um, our primary verse is Romans chapter 15, verse 7. So you could turn there. I'll have it up there in just a moment. But as a means of introduction, when my wife and I, we were high school sweethearts, and um, when we started dating, you know, you start dating, and maybe this is just us, but we were just kind of, we were all about us, the, the, the two of us, when we started to date. And, and um, all of our other relationships outside of our relationships seemed to just kind of take back seat um, to, to the relationship that we had. And, and um, that's normal, I think, natural, just part of like the human experience. And, and um, as we went through the, the dating process and the courtship process and the engagement process, we became married. And, well, yeah, we got married. <laughs> we got married. And um, w- when we got married, um, we noticed one thing that was kind of interesting for us. Julie was 19. I was 21. Way too young to be married. But that's when we got married. Um, and as we got married, um, we noticed that we were really the only of our peers that, that were married. All of our friends at that point in time weren't married yet. And so it was kind of this, it kind of made us to be even more focused just on our marriage, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, obviously we want to, our marriage is very important, but, but it was kind of exclusive just to us. And that's normal and natural, but then something happened about three years into our marriage, and we knew that this was going to be coming. We started to plan to welcome um, our children into the household. And, and so without process, we, we um, started to pray about what it was going to be to be a parent. Um, we, we started to plan. Uh, we started to make space and proper space. What's interesting about our story is that we, we were told by the ultrasound folks that our first child was going to be a little girl, and so we painted the bedroom pink. We had two baby showers, all pink, all girly stuff, and guess what happened um, when this baby popped out and surprised all of us. It was a baby boy. Uh, and so we, we literally didn't have any clothes to properly bring him home in. And so um, we had to run to the nearest store and get something to cobble together to, to at least bring him home in something camouflaged or something like that. But, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but anyway, we were in this process of preparing to welcome the family into our, into our home. And so we read the books and, you know, you, you talk to the other experts and you watch the videos on how to be a good parent and and so there came there came our our first child our son Liam and and um and then shortly after that a few years after that was our our middle daughter Elizabeth and and that was fun and then we we welcomed in Lolo a number of years later she's our 10 year old she's the one that runs the house now so we we have this um we have this great this this great family which is awesome and um one thing that took place was that when we welcomed each one of these children into our home, we welcomed them as if they are a gift of God and his sovereign grace. We welcomed them based upon the fact that this is a gift of God. And there's nothing, I think, more, um, more miraculous than experiencing the birth of a child, or at least for me, that's one of the most amazing experiences we've, we've had. But what's interesting is that when we, we had each of those children, we did not put any of those children on like a probationary period. We didn't, we, we didn't welcome them in on a, on a probationary period. Um, their being welcomed into our family was not based upon any performance on their part, 
on their part. We, we welcomed them um, before they accomplished anything, before they were able to make any kind of contribution to the household whatsoever. They, they weren't welcomed based upon their IQ. They weren't welcomed based upon their looks, which is a good thing because I don't care. I don't think any brand newborn baby looks cute. I think they all look like little aliens. <laughs> Um, give them a give them a few few days or weeks, and that changes. But anyway, we don't we don't welcome these kids in based upon their their looks. Um, we don't base base our welcoming and acceptance of them based upon based upon how good enough they might be on their personality, on their popularity. We don't welcome them based upon what they have to offer to us. We welcome them because they're God's sovereign, graceful gift to us. Which leads us to the key verse that we're talking about today, which is Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 7, and it says this, Therefore, welcome, and you'll see this, I'll talk about this in just a moment, welcome slash accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. The, the, the word that is used here for welcome and accept, and this is why I'm using, using two words, there's one word in the original language, proslabano, and that word, in order to properly understand it, it means kind of two things that are distinctly different, different but they dovetail well together. It means to take to oneself, the welcome com- component, and then there's the reception side of that word. So you have this take to oneself, welcome, but also to receive, to, to accept. And so, therefore, welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the, for the glory of God. It really takes these, these two English words to get a proper understanding of what the, the text in its original language is saying here. But here's kind of the big idea for today. Uh, the big idea is that in the same way that God welcomes us into his family... The same way he welcomes us into his family with, with our sin, with our issues, with our imperfections, so are we to welcome other believers into our relational world. Um, we are to accept others as God accepts us. We are to accept others by grace, which is how God accepts us. So we are to be accepting, welcoming of our family. Uh, The the church is God's family. We are a family as, as the church. And again, us being a family is so imperative, a healthy family is so imperative to our accomplishing our purpose, which is to love people in this world with the love of God through the gospel. But you know, because you live in the same world that I do, that, that um, welcoming and accepting and being harmonious is not the, the cultural ethic of today. It seems like today, division is what is characterizing our, our culture. We know there's, there's things. These are some of the things that bel- divide people. But I'll also say these are some of the things that divide believers, even believers within this church family. These are some things. Things like politics. Um, things like economics. Um, immigration or impeachment proceedings or um, worship music. There's, there's folks that say, you know what, we should only sing worship music that has been written by dead people aka hymns and there's others that are saying we should only use worship music that has been written in the last 15 minutes Um, the the modern choruses 
You'll notice that we don't do either one. We try to include all of those things in our worship. But these are things that can divide believers today. Um, The way that we go about the methods of communicating can be some things. Um, Denominationalism divides believers today. I'm thankful for our denomination. You notice our church name is Yakult Community Church, and that's because we see ourselves as a community church. We are here for the community as a whole. But as we, as we look at this, we're part of the evangelical free denomination. And what that means, if you were to go through one of our membership classes, is the evangelical side of it says that we are about this. This is our authority. Um, the beginning, the middle, and the end. This is our final authority is God's word. We, we base um, all of um, the, the decisions that we make in life and in the church life on the truth of the scriptures. It's our authority. So that makes us evangelical. Uh, We we take it in its entirety. Um, The free portion is the the portion of our church that says, you know what? Our denomination says, you have a specific context in wherever you're at, in our case in North County, in Yakult. Um, You have a specific context of people to love, and we want you to, to have the freedom in order to express um, the gospel as, as you feel God is calling you to do in your community. So, so we don't get real hung up on denominationalism, but a lot of churches do. They get, they, 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 they get real hung up on being denominational. Um, another, another way that can divide believers today is, is preaching methods. You know, do you, do you preach expositionally? I only want to go to a church that preaches expositionally or expositively or topically. And if you don't know what any of those are, that's totally fine. So, but basically, our normal diet of preaching, the, the preaching is expositively, which means we, we work through books of the Bible. And the reason we do that is because we, we like to take the point of the text and apply that point in our world today. God's point, as he points it out in the Bible, is the point that we draw from our scriptures. However, what we're doing right now is more of a topical. We're taking the one another topics and we're preaching on those topics. Now, you'll notice what we do is we really still pick one verse that's our focal point. But, but again, um, these are different ways that we go about it, and people will divide over different ways of how people would, would communicate or preach. Um, baptism's another one that divides believers today. Do you, you, know, do you sprinkle? Uh, do you dunk? Uh, are the, do, you, do you baptize babies? Do you baptize adults? Do you hit them with a fire hose? You know, what is it that you do? Um, and uh, that's one of those things that people divide over, and I think that's sad. I mean, we have ways that we do it here, but... Um, we are in fellowship with people that believe differently, and that's, that's okay. Now, in the early church, and this brings us to the context of our verse in Romans chapter 15, the early church had the stuff that divided them too. And in the context of this verse in Romans chapter 15, um, the thing that was bearing in division into the church had to do with dietary stuff which is interesting. It was dietary stuff. You see, many, if not most of the Christians that were were in the area of of Rome where Paul is writing this letter, as well as around around the world of that area, um, were were Jews. They had Jewish descent or Jewish background. And, And the Jews had some very, from the Old Testament, some very strict dietary rules that they had to follow or restrictions. And it forbid them from consuming certain types of meats as well as 
methods of cooking those different meats. And so it also meant that they were forbidden from eating any meat that would be offered to um, a false god or offered to an idol. And so what would basically happen in that world is, um, you know, the butchers of the, the market would get their meat from all kinds of different places, you know, normally from, from you know, the, the farmers of the day, they, and they would get their meat. But a lot of times, some of these, these um, temples would accept sacrifices for their idols and then they would, you know, do what they do to the animal. They would cut it and drain its blood. And then those, those uh, corrupt uh, priests would take those animals out the back door and go to the back door of the butcher. And then the butcher would get a discounted price. And then he would put it in his market and sell that meat. And so a lot of Jews would think, you know, how do you know when you go to the market if you're getting, like, if you're getting true, you know, 100% USDA organic meat, or if it's coming from a, coming from a, a, um, a, a temple, an, an idol. And so they're just absolutely forbid any kind of eating meat so, whatsoever. But then here, here comes Jesus onto the scene, and, um, and here comes the, the love of God, which is being offered to the rest of the world, not just the Jewish people, the Gentile folks. And so Paul comes in, and he's teaching that Christians are free. Christians are free to eat meat, any meat, even meat that was offered to idols. Some ate meat and some, and some didn't. And, and, and a lot of people fought over, can you do this or can you not do this? You know, so there's all these, these, these divisions that are taking place um, because those who were eating meat were considered to be those that were weak in faith. And so that gets us to the, the context of Romans chapter 14, which says this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Key here to our topic today, for God has welcomed him. The point here is that it wasn't about food. The point is it was about love. So Romans 15, 7, therefore welcome, this is right after this, therefore welcome and accept one another as Christ has welcomed and accepted you for the glory of God. As Christ has welcomed you. So to, to welcome requires us to be willing to embrace others as they are. Whether they are strong, whether they are weak, whether they are educated or ignorant, whether they are right, whether they are wrong, whether they are annoying, whether they are needy, whether they, whether they are beef eaters or vegetarians or, heaven forbid, vegans. Like, <laughs> we are, we are, well, we probably don't have a lot of those out here in North County, but I have some friends that are vegans, and I work on accepting them. No, it's, uh, I do accept them, but we, we are called to welcome one another as as God has welcomed us through Christ. And why do we do it? We do it for the glory of God. We do it for the glory of God because it somehow seems to be saying here that God looking good is more important than our likes and dislikes, our positions and opinions about certain things, especially certain things that aren't 100% black and white and laid out in Scripture as such. So when we welcome and we accept others um, who are different than us, it brings glory to God. We, we welcome them into, into our circle. 
when we do this, we're, we're demonstrating. I mean, when we can welcome and accept someone um, as they are, different than us, um, it really proclaims the transforming power of, of the gospel because it's so easy today to look and to see and to put labels on others and how, how dangerous that'll be when that takes place. And so this brings glory and it brings honor to God when we welcome and accept as Christ has welcomed and accepted us. And so the implication of, of this welcoming and accepting is that we would work harder, we would work harder at wrapping our arms around one another than we would at dividing from, from one another. So we, we, we focus mainly on the black and white things. We focus on the things that we have in common that are black and white. That's Jesus. That's the cross of Jesus. That's the resurrection of Jesus. That's the fact that because Jesus came, we all have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit as our guide and our comforter and our convictor. These are the things that we focus on. We, 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 we rally around the authority of the Bible in our lives. But much else beyond that, we, we don't divide over those things. Because our culture today, that's what they do. Our culture is focused on the things that separate us. It's, it's focused on the things that offend us or one another. It's focused on the things that divide us. But when we look truly at the early church, why did we see so often Paul and Timothy and Peter and the writers of the New Testament that were inspired by God to write those things be so, so hard on division? Why do they speak out against division almost above anything else? It's because it brings glory to God when we are united as believers. When we can look at the differences that we have as, as individuals and we unite based upon some of those, some of those differences. And, and one of the main reasons we do this is, and, and it's number two here, is that we are to welcome with grace. We're to welcome with grace. Therefore, welcome, accept one another as God as Christ has welcomed and accepted you for the glory of God. Brings us to the point where, how is it that we were accepted? We were accepted by grace. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you and I have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of any of your works or my works so that we may not boast. So this is saying really clear here in Ephesians 2. There's, there's some, there are some conditions in which we become acceptable to God. And what are they? One, we're acceptable to God because of the work of Jesus. That is what makes us acceptable God's grace is poured out because of the work of Jesus on the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection. The righteousness that is available to us is available because of what Jesus has done. Not anything that we've done. And it comes through faith. For by grace we have been saved through faith. So when we, when we look and we're confronted with the grace of God, the fact that God who's rich in mercy, the fact that God who is perfect takes his one and only son who is also perfect and sends him to this world knowing that this world for the most part is just going to murder him, treat him horribly. I mean, most of us with, that have kids, we try to avoid our children ever being into situations where they're going to be uh, mistreated 
in any way. But here God, because he's rich in mercy, sends Jesus down to this earth. Why? So that Jesus can live this perfect life and die a horrific death so that Jesus' blood, as the perfect sacrifice, covers the sins of humanity. And so what does God require of us in that? He just simply requires us to say, I believe you. I believe that Jesus is your son, and I believe that the blood of Jesus covers me from all of my past, present, and future sins. Please forgive me for those things, past, present, and future. I accept you by faith. That's what's asked of us. God accepts us, not based upon anything we do, but based upon what Jesus does and based upon what comes by faith because it's a free gift. That's what grace is. It's an unmerited gift. It's, an, it's, a, it's a gift that is not deserved. Not a single one of us deserves this, which is really a good thing because none of us are worthy of deserving it. We aren't, nor is anyone in our community. We are all sinners. As, as hard as we try to be in living a perfect life, and hopefully we do, hopefully we always are trying to grow and to become better um, by the help of God, um, still we are yet just all of our good works are like Scripture says, dirty rags. It's an unearned gift. It's, it's, it's not on the list of prerequisites that we be perfect, that we achieve certain spiritual standards or we follow certain handshakes or, or rituals um, to, to be accepted by God. There's no way that we can earn it. It's by accepting the, the righteousness of Christ Jesus in faith and then realizing that it's, it's grace alone. It's God's grace alone that that takes place. Simply put, and this is something you can think, memorize, write down, God's acceptance of us is simply by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. That's what his word tells us. Now, you could be sitting there, and you could be like me, and you could be like a lot of people that I hear say this, um, um, well, you don't know how bad my life is. You don't know what I've done, or you don't know what I've seen. And that's true, probably don't. But what I do know is there's some examples within Scripture that show this pretty clearly played out. And, and so if we look here, we can look at Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, he's one of the disciples. He is um, one that is a very passionate person um, and one that is like some of us that constantly is tripping over themselves. They maybe uh, speak before we think. Um, he's one of those kind of guys. And uh, so at this point, let's read what's taking place here in Matthew 16. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I just, I'll pause here. This is the very most important question that any one of us can ever ask in our lives. How we respond to that question determines where we will spend eternity. But who do you say that I am, Jesus says. And then Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, this is key, listen, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, meaning this is not of anything you've done, Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The passage that we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 is so clearly being described here in this real-life situation with Peter. Peter, um, for by grace you've been saved. It's not flesh and blood that's revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And by the way, Peter, um, on this rock I will build my church. Peter, it's of no, no credit to you. It's because God has, in his grace, allowed you to see the beauty of his, his love and forgiveness for you that's come through Christ. And because of what he's done, he's going to build his church. And, and boy, Peter, you're going to be part of that. Whoa, pretty awesome. Now, now you think, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Peter, at this point, we, we have all indication that Peter is a follower of Jesus. He is a Christian. He is a believer. And yet, um, we see that because he believes in his heart and he, he's confessed with his mouth that Jesus is the Christ. But was Peter's faith perfect at this point in time? Was Peter deserving of this gift of salvation? See, Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew that in just a very short period of time, days and even weeks, in the very near future, Peter was going to be very sinfully proud. He knew that Peter was spiritually immature. He knew that Peter was impulsive to the point where he would go cut off somebody's ear. Um, he knew that Peter himself would rebuke Christ. And he even knew that this guy who just professed him as Christ in not too long of a time would publicly deny that he even knew Jesus when his faith was really being tested. And yet, and yet, and yet, Peter was still accepted by God, not because of anything Peter had done, but because, but because of what Jesus had done. So you see, when we, when we welcome and accept, um, we, we were to, what he did here is he welcomed and he accepted um, Peter was imperfect, and yet he was welcome and accepted. So, this is what we're called to. This is what we're called to do with one another, is to welcome and accept each other, and it's not conditional. It's not based upon any kind of performance. For example, look at the people that we love, okay? Um, we can kind of tend normally to focus on the positive parts of a person's growth. So when a child, for example, when they take their first step and when they fall, how is it that we would react? Well, it kind of depends on our paradigm of relationships. If we are a person that primarily um, looks at relationships and looks for some kind of performance, then the way that we would react might be a little bit more harsh. Um, because maybe if that child isn't um, growing or, or able to walk as quickly as that we, we think that they might, we could get impatient with them because, you know what, maybe it would reflect poorly on us as a person if, if, we, if we look at relational paradigms that way. But let's just think, what if our relational paradigm is grace-based? When that child falls down, we recognize that that's just part of the, the, the growth that comes in grace. And so we look at that as a, as a healthy thing, and our response is encouraging and exhortive in a positive way. That's how we are called to accept one another. And so how does this like kind of play itself out? Like we've kind of looked at the, the biblical perspective here and, and, and how important it is that we, we accept one another, we welcome one another as God's people because that's how Christ has accepted us. Well, we're to do it proactively, 
We're to welcome, accept one another in a, in a proactive way, and we can say, well, why would we do this? We do this simply because that's the picture that we have from God. God is, is proactive. It seems like God always makes the first move, and believe it or not, if you want to get really deep theologically, even our ability to be able to respond to the grace of God is the fact that God is making the first move by wooing us to himself with grace. I believe there's people in here today that God has been wooing you to himself. But God always makes the first move, like that's what he does. He created us in the first place, right? He made that first move. And then Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, right? And then what happened? God made the first move in approaching them. And what they do? They hid, but God approached. Um, when we are lost in our sins, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he seeks out. He takes the initiative. He comes and he seeks and he saves that which is lost. He did this with his disciples. He did this with the woman at the well. He did this with Zacchaeus. He does this with outcasts. He does it with all those that are lost. He does this with the sick. He does this with the healthy. He does this with the religious. He does this with the irreligious. He does this with those who are educated and those who are uneducated. He does it with the rich. He does it with the poor, the powerless, the powerful women, men, Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious. He does it. He's the initiator to welcome proactively. Human nature instead causes us oftentimes to focus on what we're comfortable with, focus on our current relationships, our, our current friendships. Um, just ask you, just for example, we had a greeting time just a moment ago, and even though it's impossible to shut you all up and get you back from fellowshipping with one another, I say that lovingly, um, um, we all, there's lots of, lots of talking going on, but who is it that you seek out in those times? You, you, you seek out, you gravitate just towards the people that are, are, you're, you're comfortable with, or do you intentionally seek out those that maybe, um, either maybe you have some, some tension with? I'm sure there's people in this body that you have tension with. I don't know, I don't see much of it. I love how you love one another, but there's probably some of that there. We're, we're a big group of people. Um, do you seek out someone that you've not met before? Maybe you're like me, I say this often, but maybe you're an introvert. And um, for me, it's much easier to stand up here and preach than that five minutes of fellowship time or before or after the service. You can just know that when I'm out mingling, that is me exercising faith. That I just I get in conversations and I, I'm awkward and I don't like to feel like a doofus when I talk. But, I, you know, but still, it's, in, it's important that we do that because we are to be a welcoming people. So when you think about this, okay, that's the church context, but think about your time in the office. Um, your, your time in school, your, your time at different church gatherings. Who are the people that you look to, to welcome, to invite in to your homes? When I worked in, in the, the secular world for a number of years, a lot of years, and always kind of in the, the metals industry, and, and one of the things that um, I remember when I was a young guy in the shop, um, you know, I was just one of these lowly shop guys, and, um, you know, would fill the orders for the guys in the sales and marketing office, you know, the golden palace that's up there. And so we would do our work and rarely would we ever see anybody from the sales office. And you can sense the, the animosity that was created between these two worlds. But there was one sales guy and he was a believer. Um, he would always come out and eat lunch with us, you know, us lowly men. And um, it made a huge impact 
It made a huge impact on us. And, and, and I believe he did it because he was a loving guy. Um, but it was smart on his part, too, because, you know, at 5 o'clock when all the orders were coming in and we could only get a few orders out, guess whose orders would get out? His orders would get out. But, um, but, but still that same kind of thing. We can tend to just focus on the people that we're comfortable with rather than to, to um, those, that, those that we aren't. And we can find it difficult to welcome people. Um, welcome people that don't share the same interests that we do. They don't work like us or play like us or vote like us or speak our language or they may have different social or economic status. And with that, we can maybe feel like we don't have the time or the interest or the energy. And maybe we can focus on the fact that, you know what, um, I'm real busy and I pour out to a lot of people and, and so... I don't know where that, where that puts each of us, but the dangerous danger is for all of us that over time, especially, and I'm, I, feel like, I feel like I'm getting to the, the I, I, you know, I, I, my kids called me a curmudgeon this week, so it's like, I feel like I'm kind of getting to that place, and they're right. Um, as I get older, it's, it's tempting to become more exclusive, to, to stop getting outside of my shell, especially because, you know, I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've seen stuff. It's easy to be jaded um, because I've seen the many different ways that, that I've been dissed or I've watched other people diss one another. So I kind of just can tend to be kind of more inwardly focused, um, more exclusive rather than inclusive. And this can happen, this certainly can happen in churches to become kind of relationally ingrown. This could even happen within our own growth groups. I love the fact that we've got uh, more than half of our church that meets throughout the course of the week, but this can happen in growth groups as well. Um, even think about how churches work. Think about how people, most people come to churches. Most people will gravitate towards a church because they feel comfortable in a church. Not saying that that's wrong or not saying that that's bad, um, but that can often be the way that people church, meet church. I really like this church. This church makes me feel comfortable. And we do things to try to make it comfortable. That's one of our desires and one of our goals. Um, but I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know, I came to this church and, I, and I, I decided to stay at this church because I felt uncomfortable. But I could see that God's people are here and I'm called to, to love difficult people, so that's why I'm coming here, you know. That doesn't happen very often, but how awesome would that be if we, we picked a church based upon, based upon um, the way God picked us, that we're not perfect, and yet he, he picks us. And oftentimes, you know, and it does, it, it absolutely crushes me. Um, it crushes me, and it, as it does you, like emotionally when people leave the church, and people do leave the church. I think they're crazy when people don't value the love that I see that you all have for one another, but people leave. And oftentimes one of the reasons I'll hear people leave is they'll say, well, my needs were just not being met here. That's one of the things um, that they'll say. And I try to gently answer that question like this. Um, we, as a church, we don't actually exist to meet your needs. That's not why we're here. I think needs get met here. Um, but we're actually, we're actually here um, to, to equip you to be the church. We're, we're here to equip you to exercise your spiritual gifts. We're actually here to equip you to meet the needs of one another and to meet the needs out there. But I would say, you know, if you're here and you're like, hmm, I'm kind of on the fence. I don't feel like my needs are being met. I'd say, well, that's probably the indicator that God has in your life that you've got to plug in and use your gifts to meet needs for other people rather than just 
have your own needs met. So, okay, that's why I should stick to my notes. I'll go back here. <laughs> uh, I'll go back here. All right. So it's, 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 it's really easy for us to be, kind of become relationally ingrown, but let's just look at our Jesus and, and how he addresses this in Luke 14. It says this, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you are repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says here, don't invite those who you already know. Now, that doesn't mean we don't, <laughs> we don't ever invite one another. That's not the point. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying, you know, if you just reach out to the people that are um, attractive to you for one reason or another, that you feel comfortable with for one reason or another, then um, you're really missing the whole point. Because I'm speaking for Jesus here, which is a dangerous thing, but we see it in Scripture. If he would have picked us based upon our attractiveness, guess what? Not a single one of us would be here. And so he says, follow my lead in that. I, I, I gave my life so that you can give your life for one another. You, can, you, can, you want to know what love really is? Love is really you laying your life down for one another. You reaching out for one another. Not just those people who can reciprocate it for you. Those people who can, who can pay you back um, or or whatnot, and I, and I find this to be just really an easy thing to do, the people that I associate with. Am I doing it just because I can, I can uh, get something from them, I could borrow something from them, or I could, I could find some way to have my, my back scratched from them, or do I pick them out knowing that, you know what, there's nothing that they could do um, in a worldly sense to benefit me. So we can do this. We can do this by being more including, making more room in our lives. Um, in our circles. So this could be a newcomer we make room for, those with, with different backgrounds than us, skin colors than us, different economic classes from us, oddball from us, different personalities, interests. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but it needs to be beat. Background, social status, different dietary convictions, political affiliations, all those things. Point is to be like Jesus, to be a proactive welcomer. When we look at all the stories in Scripture, what are they doing? Jesus is moving towards people, all kinds of different people. And guess what? Not a single one of them can do anything for the Son of God. But he, he comes at them. He pursues. And he pursues not because we're worthy. He pursues not because we, we know how to worship him good. He pursues not because we take, take a first step. We're sick people, sinful people, that in, in essence, by nature, are enemies to him, but we need him, and he pursues us. He loved us first. And therefore, as followers of him, we're called to do the same thing with one another. We're called to even be aggressive in our welcoming and our acceptance of, of one another. It's so vital. It's so vital. And I, I, could, I could bet, well, I could say for 100% sure that I'm not here if some some, some guys, some youth staff, when I was at a, a pivotal point in time, when I had a girlfriend that was, you know, the, the head of the cheerleaders, and she was really trying to draw me into her little world, and we had been dating a year, and we were a couple of the year, and these, these guys in the youth staff of a youth group I wasn't really a part of just showed up at her house one time and invited me. They sought me out, and I, at the time, didn't want to go, 
and, and yet um, they were active and they were, they were even aggressive in their pursuit of me. And I, I know where that person is at today, and I'll just put it this way. I'm very glad for where I ended up and who I ended up with. Um, and I'm very glad that I have a faith that is driving my life. And I don't know, if I hadn't been pursued in that way, what would have happened? But I, I hear stories after stories after stories that, that it's an invitation, it's a proactiveness um, for us one to another. And so another thing within this, within this and I'll, get, I'll, I'll move on and we'll be just about done, but um, I hear a lot in church um, where someone knows of a need in someone else's life and they'll tell me of that need, and I'll say, well, what did you say when you talked to them? And they're like, oh, you know what, I just, I didn't want to say anything because um, somebody else has probably already talked to them, or I didn't want to say anything because, you know, um, I, I might, it might not come off well. I would just, just encourage you, don't do that. Don't do, we need to hear from one another. We need to, to, to bring those kind of words of encouragement to one another. Um, you guys can do that very well with one another. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Um, all right, so practically, how, how do we practically um, apply the proactive nature of the grace of God in our, in our everyday, everyday world? Um, there's just a few things here. Um, one, when, when we pray every day, when we pray every day, we pray for God to, to um, lead us in the day, or maybe we ask God instead to, to give us the ability to recognize opportunities to be warm and welcoming for others. Maybe we give that opportunity. Um, Secondly, we make room. We make room in our circles of friends, um, schedules, heart, greeting um, with one another. We make room in our, in our hearts and in our, our greeting times, our times after church, around our dining room table. Uh, I heard a great story this week. Um, one of our families, the Williams family, uh, made room in their schedule for some Mormon missionaries that kept coming to their door. And they made some room, invited them in, and had them start being part of their world. And I got the text message this week, one of the best text messages I can ever get, that, that this, one of these Mormon missionaries, one of these Mormon missionaries encountered Jesus, left the Mormon church, and is now pursuing Christ. Why? Because someone made some room for him. Someone was welcoming and accepting for them. How awesome is that? It's pretty awesome. So make room. Um, fight first impressions. This is probably a huge one, a huge one. Fight first impressions because first impressions keep us from really getting to know one another. Um, our first impressions can tend to stick with us about other people. Um, and, and, and you know how this is. I, I, I hate to tell people what I do. I just, because I know that when I say I'm a pastor, I just know that I get like yoked up with a crazy TV preacher with weird hair or um, someone, that, someone that's just a big Bible thumper or, or, a, or power hungry. I hope I'm not those things. I know I don't have the big hair, but you know, those kind of things. Um, so my, my, my standard response is, well, I'll tell you, but don't hold it against me. But I just, I don't like to be, you know, I don't like to be, um, have those first impressions put on me. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that other people feel the same way when it comes to our first impressions of them. Oh, wait, you're, you're unemployed, or oh, you're rich, you're poor. Oh, you're a Republican, you must not uh, care about the poor. Or oh, you're a Democrat, you must be a socialist, and, and all these kinds of things. And how important, and I would just say, I'm not going to camp on this too much, but the, the political thing in our world today is very important. Because I've had someone share with me in the last few weeks that they brought someone here that had a different political affiliation. They were trying to love 
They were trying to love someone in their life with a different political affiliation than they had. And they brought them here, and they're, they're, that person didn't feel like they were acceptable because they might have voted a certain way. And how terrible is that? How terrible is that? That, that they would feel on the outside because of a political opinion. Um, I, I believe that really falls closely in line with the whole dietary issues. When we're so black and white, I don't believe Jesus is that way. He's not so black and white about those kind of things. So let me ask you, let me ask you, um, what uninformed first impression or impressions have you had or placed on people recently? Any uninformed first impressions? But I think we get the point. Fourthly, welcome without excusing. Welcome without excusing. God accepts us by his grace and... He is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely dedicated to our growth, our sanctification. But he first welcomes us. He first, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He welcomes us, he accepts us. And then, then he grows us patiently to become more and more like Jesus. So we don't, we certainly don't excuse the, the, the mess and the sin in people's lives, which is one of the reasons why most of us make first impressions and why most of us are, are unwilling to reach out. We use the excuse of, well, if I reach out and I accept, they're going to see that that is me being approving of whatever the issue or the sin is in their life. Um, but that's not the picture of how God works. And we are still to practice all of the other one another's that we've talked about. Admonish one another, pray for one another, show tolerance, correct, speak truth, bear with, forgive, confess our sins with one another. We're still to do all of those things, but those things are not possible if we're not willing to be welcoming and accepting of, of one another. We approach one another as God approached us with grace, with mercy, with patience, with the goal of giving us practical victory over sin. Fifthly, we we simply, we welcome and we accept like it matters. You don't know. And those those guys, when I was in high school, didn't know by just going over and getting me at my girlfriend's house that that I would be up here preaching one day, you know? They didn't know that. But their their actions seemed seemed to show that they thought it mattered that they showed up. And it does matter. When we welcome and accept one another, it matters. Jesus prayed it in John 17. He prayed that, that we would be one, that he and, he and his Father are one, so that the world may believe that he was sent by his Father. Our oneness, our willingness to love, accept, welcome one another seems to be a prerequisite for the world understanding that God sent his Son. So it matters. It matters to our community um, because they need to see Jesus in us. Um, And it matters to the individuals that we meet because they need Jesus. It matters. I'm going to totally brag on you because I love to do that. Um, I got an email early this week from one of our growth groups. And in our growth groups, we have a number, I think, four terms throughout the year. Um, Three or four. We take the summer off. So whatever that works out to. But there are about 10 to 12 week terms in our growth groups. And and every growth group um, does a, a service project each term. So you got eight or nine or, I don't know, with youth, maybe 
nine or 10 growth groups that are all doing service projects, some way to get out in our community and love our community. And uh, I think about the math and how that extrapolates out through the course of a year and how much um, FaceTime we get with the people that God's called us to love, and it just like makes me get the goosebumps. But I got this letter this week. The, the growth group was asking for my blessing on a letter that they were writing to a neighborhood, the neighborhood that is going to be bordering, it's the fence line that's going to be bordering our new church property. And this was a letter, I'm just going to read it. It says this, Greetings, neighbors. We are some of the families that attend Yakult Community Church here in town. Our church is in the planning phase of constructing a new building on the parcel of land just to the north of Christie Street. So we hope that before too long, we will actually be your neighbors! Exclamation point. We love connecting with kids through our youth meetings on Tuesday at 6.30 and our Awana programs for preschoolers and grade school kids on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. So feel free to come in and see what's going on. Our main Sunday worship service is at 10 a.m., and we'd love to see you there as well. Want more information about the new building? More complete plans and drawings are available at the church. Stop by. We'd be happy to answer any questions you might have about this project. For now, enjoy this pumpkin pie. Happy Thanksgiving. And that group made 17 pumpkin pies, went and handed these out personally with letters to those people. 21. 21. Okay. <laughs> It should have been 22 because I think the pastor should get a, a, a one with that. Um, 21 of those, those letters that went out. And I don't know, I, I, we have so many visitors each week now. Maybe someone here is because of that invitation. Um, but it matters. It matters that we're welcoming and accepting of one another and accepting of those in our community around us here. The last one... Um, is play, play the welcome card like, like this growth group just did. Play the welcome card. Everyone is playing cards today. Cards that divide, you know, the impeachment card, the race card, the gender card, the privilege card, the inequity card. We are called because of what Jesus has done for us. We are to welcome and accept others because Christ has done that for us to the glory of God. So we get to play that card. We get to play the welcome and the acceptance card without making first impressions, without making excuses, but we make it because God made it to us. And how awesome is that? He made it to us first. We get to follow his lead. That's the gospel of Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And I believe, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of biased here, but I believe that everybody needs, everybody needs that. Everybody needs the Lord. 